Salvete omnes qui ludere ametis. Hail to all who love to play games. And welcome to the Video Games and Human Values Initiative podcast. I'm Roger Travis, Director of the Initiative and Associate Professor of Classics at the University of Connecticut. On this edition of the podcast, I talk with Michael Young, Professor of Educational Psychology, about his latest thoughts on the issue of co-opting games for learning, including a spirited defense of World of Warcraft as a serious game. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. So I'm joined by Mike Young, one of the guys I think of as the quadrumvirate of the original uh, founders and collaborators on VGHVI. Mike is professor of educational psychology at the NEAG School of Education at UConn, and he's also director of the program in educational technology. Mike, anything you want to add to your credentials and qualifications? No, I'll just plead guilty. Okay, great. So, Mike recently started a thread on the VGHVI forums about co-opting games for learning, which is something that I know is of great interest to him, and it's what brings him into the VGHVI fold in a certain way. He is part of the interdisciplinary mix. So I'm just going to start out by asking what his latest thoughts are. Mike, what are your latest thoughts on co-opting games for learning? Well, Roger, you've heard me talk about this, that when people think about serious games, they often think about ripping the heart out of what gaming is and just kind of making it serious simulation of some sort. And my latest concern, and it's always been my concern, is how do you maintain the essential elements of what gaming is? It's essentially fun, and it's played because people want to play. It's self-engaging and self-organizing. And how do you keep that and yet meet the demands of a pre-specified curriculum somehow? So those are my thoughts. My thoughts are that you may have to deeply understand what it means to be fun. So how do we understand what fun is? Is it even possible, do you think? Yeah, of course it's possible. I think understanding psychology is a business that a lot of people have engaged in. They have a lot of fun figuring out what fun is and understanding how our behavior and our choices that are made on the fly and interacting with the environment emerge dynamically. It's a complex business, not one that is amenable to existing contemporary learning theory or understanding how brain and body interact with the world, but it's certainly possible and it would be a rich and interesting forum As rich as watching pigeons were for Skinner, as watching kids play video games and being able to assess and track what they do, having the system logs spit out all kinds of data about how users and and games interact. I was actually just thinking last night as I did a bit of grinding in Lotro, thinking about some of the things you'd said and thinking I thought I hadn't quite articulated this way before which is that massively multiplayer online role-playing games, which really blur the line between work and play. So- much of what we do is appears to be work, like grinding. And, and much of the work we appear to do seems to be for the social good, you know, creating websites and posting quest aids and hints. Exactly. And it seemed to me, I thought to myself, you know, what if someone were paying me to do this? And there are, of course, millions of people in the world these days who are paid to do that. How would it change my, my feelings about it? And it was a, an interesting new way of posing, I think, 
the central question of that thread you put on VGHVI, which is, if we make somebody do something, can it ever still be fun? So what do you think the answer to that question is? Of course, it can be, but there's no general rule that's going to say it will be. There's research in uh, what's called Flow by a California guy named Csikszentmihalyi, and the essential element there is fun is what you make it. Whether you're working on a, a manufacturing job where you're putting widgets into tubes all day, you can make a little game out of that and say, well, I'm going to get 50 this half hour and I'm going to get 52 next half hour. So the fact that you're getting paid or somebody's putting constraints on the activity doesn't mean that you know, on the fly, in a situational way, it can or can't be fun. Doesn't that stretch the meaning of fun, though? I mean, maybe we need the word flow instead of the word fun. I think it's got too much baggage, at least the way Csikszentmihalyi talks about it. It's very information processing. It's very top-down. It's very goals and ideas are in the head. And I think what we need is a much more contemporary, embodied, embedded, cognitive model that says that stuff happens on the fly. The way we enjoy games is in the moment. It's neither pre-specifiable nor completely understandable by just looking at the game player themselves. But to look at the tune, the embodiment in the virtual world, the embodiment in the real world, because as you know, some of these uh, guildies are real friends. And we do some things to help them because they're our real friends in life. Can we drill down a little bit on the phrase on the fly? Because it seems like a really neat and evocative way of thinking about what goes into making an experience that maybe produces the phenomenon of fun, but also has the potential to produce all sorts of other potentially very productive, in fact, more productive than we tend to think of fun as being, although you and I both know that fun is much more productive than a lot of people give it credit for. So what do you mean by on the fly? What do we mean by on the fly is taking a look at what some have called situated cognition or embedded embodied cognition, contemporary learning theories that suggest that knowing and thinking are not in the heads of users, that things don't get conjured up in our head and then produced by our bodies, that most of our thinking and acting is in a very dynamic interaction with the world and what it affords. When I use that phrase on the fly, I'm trying to bring together a great deal of contemporary learning theory, both in terms of how we think and learn, it being interactive with the world, how we think and learn, it being embedded in the moment and embodied either by our real bodies or by our virtual bodies in virtual space. That embodiment kind of constrains what we do. Interaction we have with our virtual world or our real world is what produces behavior, that stuff we want to call fun. And, of course, also modifications in behavior that might be called learning, right? Yes, long-term stable changes in the things that we can do, the kinds of interactions we can enter into in the world. But those are very perceptual ideas. They go back to James Gibson and some of his theories about how vision works. That's certainly been kicked up a notch by the ecological psychology movement that says to understand how we think and learn, it's probably better to think of it as perceiving and acting on the fly than it is the intake and storage of knowledge, facts, semantic networks. All of that stuff just doesn't seem to make any sense when you drill down philosophically to how it gets read back out. We'd have to have another little version of the world inside our heads 
to make sense of that, and it just doesn't make sense. Maybe I should just telegraph to people who are listening who haven't talked a bunch with you or people like you before that, <laughs> that, that what... Or the likes of me, as it were. <laughs> what you're actually proposing is something that would change utterly the way that we think about learning. And that's one of the reasons that I just get a little frisson every time I talk to you about World of Warcraft and Lord of the Rings Online and things we can do in those games, because it's not just about using MMORPGs as supplements to learning. It's about understanding the way we learn through a completely new model. I think that's true. I think to avoid the logical solipsism of information processing, and this is not me, or even the likes of me, this is... I believe the way contemporary learning theory is going. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to think of it more as an embodied, embedded cognition. I mean, look at Carol Fowler and her friends at Yale who are trying to understand how we develop language. And for the longest time, we thought language was something that just gets conjured up in our heads that's maybe even native, like Chomsky would say that it is. And, and it turns out that doesn't make any sense. Uh, you can actually show that language and communication are fully embodied to the point where psychologists do weird things like tape smiles on people's faces and, mm -hmm. and find out how they react or how quickly they can their reaction time is to positive and negative words. The position of our bodies, the embodied and embedded nature of our selves seems to be telling us that fun and learning and game playing is the achievement of a whole body embodied in a a lived-in world, or a whole tune and everything it can do embodied in a virtual world. Okay, let's go there. How do we make the jump from the real body onto which somebody could tape a smile and the tune which could be forced through slash E to generate a smile? To what extent are those the same and to what extent are they different? There's no jump. They are the same. Just like if I ask you, Roger, to look at the moon with your naked eye, and then I hand you a telescope and say, look at the moon, you're not different. You're still the person looking at it, even though you have all these brand new abilities to act. You can, you can look at the mares in great detail through the telescope. Our tunes in virtual world are just the same as the telescope. They're just extensions of ourselves. It's still me doing the thinking, and whether I move my legs to move myself north or whether I hit the N key to move myself north or whether I use the mouse to move myself north. It's still me moving north. There are a lot of people who have talked about this as a jump. How do we move from our real bodies in real space to our virtual bodies in virtual space? So, so the answer is it, it's no jump at all. I mean, we are who we are, whether we act through efferent fibers of our hand or the internet bits of our uh, fingers on keyboards. All right, well, then let me ask you this as kind of the next latest thoughts question. What have you been doing in WoW recently? <laughs> Leveling up my pally because my rogue got ganked by a pally. I figured that I'd play him for a little while to figure out exactly what he did and how he did it and why he was able to beat me. And I kind of enjoyed playing the pally. I leveled him up to level 70 now. Trying to, I'm just, I'm trying to understand the other classes because my main character, the rogue, he's at quite a disadvantage to most characters. And to play him well, he kind of has to know and even anticipate what his competition's going to be doing. I think that's the short answer, is I'm trying to know the enemy by becoming them. So do you do a lot of PvP? Does your guild? 
Well, I don't think we've gotten big into arena play for a while. I mean, when we were all 70s, we had a, a two, three, and five-man arena team that was doing pretty well. Now that we're all 80s, we prefer to kind of do our PvP in a more informal way of going to instances, standing outside, and making it safe for all mankind to get in there by uh, ganking the horde as much as we can. So you play only Alliance? On that server, you know, PvP servers, you got to pick one or the other. But so. I'm, I'm wondering if, it, if do you it, play a horde on another yeah, server? Yeah, I do. I have played horde. And again, I usually do it in the hopes of losing, but I'm psychologically wedded to Alliance. And so even with my high-level horde, I take them in there just to sacrifice them. The number of honor kills goes up for my Alliance buddies. All right, I'm, I'm going to load and lead a question for you because I really want to hear you <laughs> go off on it. Tell me why WoW is, in fact, a serious game. Oh, my goodness. There's just not enough time. John Seeley Brown has written about an article, something like, you play WoW, you're hired. He talks in more detail than you and I in this podcast can about just the sheer value, of the leadership value of what it takes to run a guild, a successful guild, and organize 5, 10, 30 players to go do something for a couple of hours where only a few people are going to get a reward. But they do it because they're, they're good at convincing people to be something fair, that it'll come their time. There's value in practice and value in working together as a team. And I don't know a Fortune 500 company in the U.S. that wouldn't want somebody who had exactly those skills can organize people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do for themselves, that they get very little out, but give a lot back to the guild. And so I think leadership skills alone would justify looking at something like WoW, or WoW specifically, as a serious thing that people do. But also just in how people learn in WoW. It is a remarkable model to think if we could run our grade schools, our K-12 schools, on the same model, Kurt Squire has written about this. Every day, every week, it changes who's a professor of WoW, who's the best rogue, for example, and who would you go to, not just in your guild or on your server, but online. Who would you trust on there to tell you what you should do to become a better rogue, how to gear yourself, or how to spec your class? What's interesting is they don't get a degree in being a rogue. There's no PhD in rogueness. It's just who's ever doing the best at this time, you know, in the last few months, then that's somebody you're going to listen to. You're going to look up their character and see where their PvP standing is. And, geez, that's the guy I'm going to try to be like. And when he, he says I should do this, that's what I'll do. That would be so cool if it was true in mathematics and science and literature in high school where the students who know the most about it for the moment become the leaders and the go-to people for helping others understand it. So I take it very seriously for that, being an educator. It provides an alternative model of what is sometimes extraordinary learning without formalizing who's the teacher and who's the student and how they're going to interact and for how long. It's just on the fly, what's needed, just in time, and the people that know provide information to the people that need to know. How cool is that? <laughs> and it's amazing in that that formulation you just made is not at all about co-opting the game. It's about the learning that is situated in the game. Now, if you want to talk a moment about that fairly loaded term, let's think about the physics that's in the game 
that people have to deal with to jump from a ledge onto the spire that, so that you can sit up there and pick people off at a range to, or to get to a, a special place. There is physics in there, and it's the same physics as the hands-on science that are dropping eggs out the window and creating fighting robots. So the possibility of co-opting that content is certainly there. I mean, we're all mixing reagents and we could do chemistry. If we're going past WOW to Pirates of the Caribbean, there's historical truth about the size of ships and the speed of ships. And... Pirates of the Burning yes. Sea rather than the Caribbean. Very <laughs> there good. Isn't, there isn't yeah. much realistic about Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> but yeah, I take your meaning. So it wouldn't take much to, to co-opt that content that's there, whether it's the alchemy in WoW, the mining, the fact that you have to create certain metals and in certain ratios, it would not take much to make that accurate in terms of the world, whether it's the physics, the chemistry, and the history. And then we're not far from co-opting it for the traditional curriculum. Absolutely. It's funny, as you know, I and some of my Latin teacher colleagues have been working on a way to perhaps teach some Latin in Lord of the Rings Online because I've managed to convince them all to come play with me. And I think about precisely this problem, and one of my colleagues who's doing this with me said, isn't there a game that's actually about Rome that we could do this with? And unfortunately, there isn't, and one would hope that someday there might be. But what I'm thinking in terms of is not in terms of just kind of using Lord of the Rings Online as a place to get people together and to force them to learn Latin while they're doing something that they think is fun so that hopefully they'll associate Latin with fun or, or something stupid like that. The terms that we're thinking in are to actually make the learning of Latin an integral part of the situated experience in the game. Because, of course, when you're working together on content within WoW or Lord of the Rings Online, everybody has to know their role everybody has to know their gear, everybody has to know what has to happen for the quest to be completed. And in order to do that, well, thank goodness, we still have to use language. And Latin being a language, we think that although it may start out clumsy and someday we may want to build a classical MMO, by making the communication that is an essential part of the game happen in Latin, we are wondering, and we think this is probably a pretty good idea, whether it in fact will end up teaching Latin in a situated way that really wouldn't be possible otherwise, except if you had an MMO that actually was set in a classical world with NPCs who actually spoke Latin to you. What do you think? I don't know. I think there's some ways of thinking of it that that could work. I think there's some reasons to believe that that would absolutely fail miserably <laughs> to create a situation where you have to do something outside the game in order to succeed inside the game, or even kind of artificially forcing it into a, a Latin website. I believe in things happening naturalistically, ecologically valid, and I do believe that the word teach Latin is an interesting one in this context, since mm. it presumes somebody external with some intentionality is going to impose something on your gameplay. I think it's going to take us a long time to unpack what uh -huh. might happen in those circumstances. Certainly interesting to try, though. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, I'm willing to meddle with it, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally right there with you. Right. I'm just thinking that the companion things, the things that happen in websites outside the game, are 
going to be much more productive for us to do deal with, I think, than uh, actually either forcing it onto a Latin server or changing the content to be you know, about Rome instead of about the backstory that, that's already been written. I'm looking forward to finding out how teaching and learning happen. I think my use of teach was kind of an unavoidable consequence of Indeed, of it's a, yeah, sure. The yeah. traditional model. Maybe we could say facilitate learning of Latin. <laughs> or organizing a situation such that learning Latin occurs. Yes, <laughs> I like it. So I want to thank Mike Young for being my guest on the VGHVI podcast. And I hope maybe this will get that thread kicked up again. I thought we had some good discussion in there, and I, I think it could go even further. But the education piece of VGHVI is something that I think will only grow in importance as we proceed further down the course of, of where video games are going. And although I think Mike and I both have reservations about the way the term serious games is being used currently. The use of games, whether they're serious games or not, for purposes that we generally consider serious is going to be something that I think both of us hope that VGHVI gets to participate in as time goes on. Any final thoughts, Mike? God help us all, I suppose. Great. Thank you very, very much.